Hey everybody, welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. And this is the podcast where two brothers um, talk about the comic books they loved when they were kids, or loved at any time. And uh, we are in the middle of a run where we're talking about the 1960s issues of the Fantastic Four. But before we get into that, let me tell you who we are. Uh, my name is Will Hines, and I am uh, one of your two hosts, and I am in the Los Angeles half of the hosting duo. Uh, I'm your other host, Kevin Hines, and I'm the uh, East Coast uh, staple of this podcast. I live in New Jersey. I work in New York. Uh, so I kind of have a, just a more cool vibe, I, I would say. Yeah, you got the street smarts. You're walking here. Forget about it. Uh, pizza and bagels. I'm I'm doing deals. I'm eating avocados. You know, I'm getting plastic surgery left and right. Yeah, you look great. Thank you. Uh, I'm 120 years old, but uh, I read as 50, so I'm still castable. Um, and um, yeah, so here we are in the the a recap issue. We 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 we've now decided that we're doing recap. I'm sorry, episodes. We're doing recap episodes and commentary episodes. Yeah. So this episode is going to be largely plot based. We're going to talk a lot about the plots of all these episodes. We'll talk a little bit about character stuff, but we're going to save a lot of the in-depth stuff for next episode where we'll talk about the same issues in a different way. <laughs> yeah. See, this is, we're covering the original run of Fantastic Four, which was done by Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. And the problem is there's 102 issues plus annuals. Yeah. So there's like 110 issues and we just didn't want to do an episode per issue because we'd go insane. Um, so we're doing huge swaths of it, and today we're doing 17 issues. 17, yeah, we're covering 17 issues. Yeah, we're covering issue 9 through 24, plus the first annual. Yeah, which we're sort of loosely calling the bad ones. Yeah, I mean, there's some good stuff in here, but this is sort of a bad stretch. It gets starts getting better uh, in our next stretch. Yeah, FF starts strong, gets weird in the ones we're going to do today. Although, as Kevin says, plenty of good stuff, and there's flashes of brilliance and the ingredients are all still here for the for the awesome issues to come and if you're curious um, our next stretch will be issue 25 through uh 34 yeah um and so uh yeah so we're gonna cover some um some really weird not great issues today but before we do that we have some comic book business to cover is that right kevin yeah as real briefly i think we should talk about avengers endgame no, I've never heard of this. Uh, catch me yeah, up on what a, this is. It's a small indie film that just sort uh -huh. of came out. It sort of was one of those movies sort of stealth announced, released yeah. in just all the theaters. Not a lot of publicity. Yeah, simply all the theaters. Yeah. Uh, it's already at this time, it's been out, I think, two weeks, and it's already like the biggest money maker. It's already made $2 billion. I mean, that's just a lot of money. Yeah. So now they've covered Robert Downey Jr.'s salary, and now they're starting to make profit. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I think they're all underpaid, probably for how much money this movie makes. But um, yeah, except maybe Robert Downey Jr. He's probably on his second contract because uh, I don't know why I know these things, but I know his first contract just covered, I think, four films. So it covered mm. the first three Iron Mans and the first Avengers, and he had to sign another one to be in Avengers two. Okay, yeah. Uh, and when he signed that, I think he got probably a big raise because they built yeah. a movie empire on his back. That's right. Um, so we've both seen this movie now, and we just wanted to talk a little bit about it. Now, Kevin, what's our spoiler 
rules here for talking about it. I think we're not going to spoil anything. I think okay, we're just going to talk gonna... about our general impressions. Okay, so this is a totally spoiler-free discussion. I'm I'm fine with that. Yeah, because I don't see uh, uh, I don't see the reason we don't have to get into depth. it. We're it's not, not about it. the Fantastic Four at all. They're not in right. it. Spoiler alert. Yep. And uh, <laughs> while Spider-Man, our, our past seasons uh, focus is in it, he's not. I would say not a main part of this movie. Right, right. So it doesn't really overlap with the stuff we've talked about. Uh, so um, I'll just ask you straight up, Kevin. What'd you think? Now I'm going to tell the audience. In my opinion, my brother Kevin can be very fussy about superhero movies. Uh, he's got a lot of opinions about the way they should go. He's also very passionate about them. So I'm curious, what did you think about Avengers Endgame? I mean, it was fine. No, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the least passionate response I could have. Uh, I've seen it twice already. I saw it once on my own, and then I saw it again with my wife. Uh, and I liked it more after the second viewing, um, possibly because I could relax and knew what, what what was going to happen in it. Um, I think it was a big step down from Infinity War, which I loved. I thought Infinity War was spectacular. Um, but I still think it was a very good movie. I look at all these Marvel cinematic movies, of which there are 22 of, and sort of like groupings. And there's like a top grouping of like some really amazing superhero movies. And I would put this in like the second group. Which includes a lot of movies that are very good, including like Captain America Civil War, um, uh, maybe the Guardians of Galaxies 2. I would, you know, I put it in that mm-hmm. sort of range. Um, I think Infinity War was so great, and the original Avengers movie was great. And this is like a step behind those in my mind, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. mostly because I think it, it, it doesn't really hold your hand. It basically says, like, we're assuming you've seen these other 22 movies. Yeah. Where I think Infinity War, despite it being after all these movies, sort of does a better job of explaining who these characters are if you haven't seen them. Like, I think Infinity War expects you've seen at least one of the Avenger movies or maybe at least an Iron Man, but not... It doesn't expect that you know who the Guardians of the Galaxy are. It doesn't expect that you know all the minutiae from all the different movies. And this one sort of does. And I think they sort of were making this movie and they said, like, ah, screw it. People either know it or they don't. Right. But it's still fun. It's really fun. Yeah. Some um, really great moments. You know, I've, I've heard um, from my friends. I, I really loved it. Um, I think I liked it more than Infinity War, but, but not, not, not largely different. I, I think it's just it's the second half of that story and it's, and it's, I, I liked it very similarly, uh, maybe a little more, but, um, it's funny. My friends who are talking about it here in LA, I mean, everybody's was talking about it, but a lot of people have really mixed opinions when they compare it to the, to infinity war. Like I, I have many friends who are like, Oh, so much better than infinity war. And I, and other friends are like so much worse. Um, and, um, it's just, it's, it's interesting to me the, the, kind of difference of opinions people have on it yeah i just find infinity war more fun um yeah i'm gonna spoil the end of infinity war this movie starts with half the world having died so that explains some of that tone i'm sure but uh there's just something about the fun of seeing these characters sort of interact and and get mixed up and paired off with different characters it was just sort of fun and this movie focuses more on the original avengers still a lot of fun stuff um I saw it at um, 
It's fun when there's a movie that's so big that everybody's talking about it. It's kind of like when Game of Thrones came back and that was a thing that everybody was talking about. I sort of, I like event movies. Um, in Hollywood, at the Arclight Theater, which is um, a terrific movie theater, which if you ever visit Los Angeles, you should go see Arclight. Not a sponsor, but I love them. And which is not an uncommon recommendation. If you go to LA, somebody's going to tell you to go to the Arclight. But um, they played a tw- the movie 24 Hours starting like when it premiered Thursday night. I went to see it at 8 a.m. <laughs> uh, Friday and there was a 7 a.m. showing that I didn't go to. And there was a 3.15 a.m. showing in the middle of the night between Thursday and Friday. Um, and all of the screens, they have like 22 screens at the Arclight. They were all Avengers except for like one that was like another movie, which I forget what it was. I wish I could remember. Um but it was funny. You go in and like up on the board, they're listing the movies and just every one is Avengers Endgame. Some in 3D, some normal. And I saw it at 8 a.m. with like 25 other people. You see so it, I was like, you see it 3D or 2D? I saw it 3D just because that I, I was picking the time more than the format. But that happened to be a 3D option. And it's like I, was, I didn't care about that. And I thought it was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I like forgot it was 3D for most of while I was watching. I saw the first time I saw it was with uh, my friend works at Marvel, so I got to be his plus one friends and family screening, which was the day before it premiered. So I saw it Wednesday evening. But when you say friend, of, is this a ghost of Stan Lee? <laughs> yeah, my friend who's the the ghost of Stan Lee, and he picked me to go nice. see the movie with him. Uh, he's annoying to sit next to, though. <laughs> he just sort of, you sit next to him. He goes, "I came up with that." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, I don't know if you, I think you're simplifying how that yeah. works, but you don't I, get this into was it. 100% my idea. Yeah. <laughs> I thought of Thanos and told Jim Starlin to do it. <laughs> um, uh, but at the beginning of the movie, a guy comes out and talks a little bit, just sort of as like the thank everyone. You guys all made this possible sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, he mentioned uh, none of this would be possible without Stanley, Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko. Mm. And uh, I thought that was, nice. I clapped for that. Also in nice. the credits, when uh, uh, Stanley and Jack Kirby's name comes up, I applauded. Uh, I think I was the only one who applauded. I was like, yeah, woo. No one else yeah. did. And then Robert Downey Jr.'s name came up and everyone cheered. And I was like, yeah, OK, that makes more sense. I guess. It does make sense for the for the movie adaptations. Uh, but yeah, it's good and you should see it. And we're probably not going to get into more detail about it in a future episode unless we change our mind. Yeah. Um, it, I'll, I do want to say one more thing about it, which I like how watching Marvel movies, there, there, there's a lot of similarities to reading Marvel comics in that, you know, this was basically like a crossover event movie yeah, where they're like cramming in tons of characters, um, which is sort of like a secret wars crossover or civil war crossover or, or even crisis of infinite earth gauntlet. Uh, yeah. Um, and it has the same like pluses and minuses. Like the pluses is like, it's fun to see all the characters together, but the minuses like it's sort of contrived. And of course not everybody gets like enough time to really showcase themselves. And, um, but, but I I thought it was mostly positive. I was like, you know, this is the thrill uh, and you feel a little left out. You don't necessarily know all the backstories of every single person. If you haven't seen their movie or whatever. Um, but I, I, I dug it. I definitely left this movie, especially at the second time I watched it, sort of reminding myself how insane it is that a movie like this exists. 
that all these superheroes have been brought to life and thrown into a movie together and are fighting in this big battle. And I'm just sort of like, oh, that's, that's crazy to me. Yeah. That I love I mean, comics just- so much. And now, like, they're all there in this huge thing that everyone wants to see. And uh, well done. You know, they're being cast well with really talented actors and a, and a huge production budget that the movies look great. Like, you can imagine bad versions of these movies, and they're not happening. They're, they're, they're really well-made things. Uh, at my office, somebody asked me a question about this movie, and yeah. they sort of apologized. They're like, I'm sorry to bug you. You, you, know, <laughs> you might not want to explain this. And I was like, honestly, this is all I've wanted to talk about my whole life. It's nice that other <laughs> people care now. <laughs> uh, it is fun when someone wants to ask you about your nerd interests. Yeah. Not just you, Kevin, but when one is asked about one's yeah. nerd it's interests. It's like, I'm sorry. I want to ask you a question about Captain America. And I'm like, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> you shove everything you like with an arm sweep, pull, push everything off your desk, including the computer. And you're like, sit down. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's should we get into this. Yeah. Let's talk about just 17 issues of Fantastic Four. Just comics. Real quick cover 17 issues. We call this segment the watcher watches. And that's the whole episode. Yes. Um, next episode, we'll have a bunch of commentary segments. As it, um, as, all right. So as a brief gonna, overview of these 17 issues, I think yeah. they're sillier. Than mm-hmm. a lot of the FF issues that follow and preceded it. I mean, there's silly yeah. moments throughout FF's run, but these are probably the silliest stretch of stories. I agree. Um, just, some things are consistent with the other. Um, something, even though these we're, we're calling these like the the bad issues. Some things are good that are consistent with all the good chapters, which is like Jack Kirby creates a million characters. Every issue, there's like a brand new villain. Generally speaking, these villains have remained a big part of the Marvel Universe. Um, there's tons of action and great drawing. Uh, but yeah, it does tend to be more slapsticky and silly. And yeah, it, it, almost, doesn't f- it almost feels like a comedy book at times. Yeah, uh, it doesn't feel like they are trying to architect a universe to live in. It feels like they are desperately trying to entertain you, the reader and get you coming back. And, you know, at the time that these issues are coming out, Marvel is a scrappy, small indie comics company, maybe not even the number two biggest company, maybe number three or just like an also ran. So they're, they're trying to get in the game here. Yeah. And the two things that I kind of leave thinking after I read these 17 issues is one, how, like, despite the fact that the comic gets more serious shortly after this stretch, mm-hmm. these characters do beca- stay part of it. Like, silly characters like the Impossible Man and the Super Apes yeah, are, like, for real part of the mythos of Fantastic Four and get brought back every now and then. It's just like, oh, yeah, we used to be silly. Uh, and, and they get brought back in a more with more gravitas and stuff. But there's a silliness inherent in those characters that you're never going to completely escape. And they... But they don't just completely go away. I think that's interesting. I also think when I read when I was reading these issues and I made the comment um, after one of these issues that this must have been so different than DC's comics. Yeah, like DC was such I mean, well, you know, I'm not a complete expert in DC comics of this time. I mean, I have read a fair amount of like Justice League and Superman and Batman, but. I've never gone as deep, so that's my, my qualification. But my my impression of Silver Age DC Comics is that it's kind of organized and almost like stayed and like controlled. 
Um, you know, it's like the big studio where it's been vetted by a lot of people. This is what it feels like. I have no yeah. idea if this is actually true. And it just feels sort of villain of the month tied up with a neat little bow. The art is all good. Uh, the, the character design is clean and smart. And these FF issues are being done by a madman. Yeah. And even the superhero stuff that DC was doing that was sort of sillier, like, oh, you know, uh, Jimmy Olsen turns into a giant turtle. Those things always felt like, oh, it's a funny idea, but it sort of played as straight as possible. Yeah. Where in this comic, there's moments where it's like, thing is being like thrown out windows going, whoops, you know? <laughs> yeah, this just felt like, you know, I mean, I've, I've said it in previous episodes of this podcast. It's like a B-movie director who is a genius, Jack Kirby, has been given an unlimited budget. And so just whatever idea comes into his head goes up on the screen. And... um it is exciting and joyful and sometimes silly and dumb. It's also very interesting how different it gets so shortly after the stretch, like that they made those changes somehow, whether um, deliberately or just sort just of organically. Organically evolved into it, yeah. Um, it's very interesting. But anyway, uh, let's launch into this first one, which we talk about a lot as a really yeah, this dumb is issue. Issue nine, issue nine is, a, is a, an issue that Kevin and I talk about a lot. It's one of the silliest issues of of a good comic that we that we can imagine we we talk about it all the time as an example of a really stupid story so dumb that it makes us laugh yeah um and it is when the submariner tricks the ff into being in his movie yeah <laughs> the, the story starts off with reed having lost all of their money at stock markets the super genius reed richards has lost all of the fantastic four's money <laughs> It is such a nerdy, lame, inciting incident for a superhero story. Yeah, like all their um, stuff gets repossessed. They can't. So they uh, they can't afford to go to Hollywood. They have to hitchhike. <laughs> yeah, they can't figure out to get a ride. Or Reed can't build something to like teleport them there or whatever. Not without money. I mean, like Reed loses money in the stock market, but what he can't invent something to make just like rent money to get by, you know, or can maybe they should move out of their five floors of a New York skyscraper and into an apartment for a while to say, I, I think that would cut their budget quite a lot. Sure. I mean, they're kicked out in this issue. I mean, they're kicked out and everything's taken from them. So, um, so they, they're because of this, they are forced to take a movie offer, um, at, from SM studios. <laughs> Yes, uh, which unbeknownst to them stands for Submariner. <laughs> <laughs> so he filed the paperwork. Submariner went to like, you know, wherever he had to go and like yeah. filed the paperwork to incorporate himself as and probably shirtless. He probably was there shirtless in his green Speedo and he filled out the paperwork for SM Studios. It's important to know this is a legit movie theater that the Submariner King of Atlantis started as part of his <laughs> evil plot. To thwart the Fantastic Four. And of course, this is the second time Marvel Comics, or this is the first of two times that Marvel Comics will use this because this happens to Spider-Man in Spider-Man's run where the Green Goblin tricks him into being into his movie. That's right. Uh, though the Green Goblin at least pairs with an existing movie studio. <laughs> he didn't have the time to set up a whole studio. Submariner does not take orders from others. He has to form his own movie studio and he'll get distribution rights as well. Yeah, but they talk um, about it like he uses all his treasures from under the sea to fund these movies. <laughs> I don't know. It seems it's so crazy. 
I mean, living in Hollywood and trying to get work in these things, if these guys could so quickly set up a functioning TV and movie studio, you know, movie production thing, they should just go into the movie business. There's tons of money to be made, you know, And and they do have amazing abilities. They would make the special effects of a movie with the actual Fantastic Four, and it would be way ahead of like Jason and the Argonauts or whatever was coming out in 1962. I mean, uh, this does end with the movie being released, though there seems to be no coherent plot or scenes <laughs> filmed. Or I often, remember how, I don't think there's don't a camera crew very often. <laughs> well, anyway, so they're filming these things. They send like Reed off to fight an actual Cyclops. <laughs> Not a special effect of a Cyclops, but an actual Cyclops. Right. right. Human Torch fights like natives somewhere. And again, these are all like real natives. Uh, the Submariner beats up the thing. Um, uh, this is this has the single best panel, I think, in terms of makes me laugh out loud, which is when they realize it's the Submariner. He's got his back to them. Yes. And then they realize it's the Submariner and he like whips around evil villain style and it's the Submariner wearing a suit. Yeah, it's the and bottom it's, of page go- seven and he's like in shadowed. It's just like it looks like a rich executive with a pinstripe suit. And then he turns around. He's got like a little cigarette holder. Yeah. <laughs> and they say like Submariner. And he goes at your service. <laughs> it doesn't fit the previous uh, Submariner stories. And it certainly doesn't fit any of the future Submariner stories. <laughs> no, man. This just is like, I wonder if they ever talk about it. If the characters are like, remember when we uh, went to L.A. and were in the Submariner's movie? Um, or if Submariner while ruling, like, you know, whatever he's, people are like, Hey, maybe you shouldn't be King of Atlantis anymore. That one time you took all our money to open a movie studio. (laughs) Just so that you can, you couldn't just go attack the FF. Just like, you know where they are. You didn't, did you need to lure them out? I don't know. It's funny. Uh, it's a very silly issue. Uh, and then I think at the end, um, I forget how it it wraps up. I think they just beat him up. (laughs) I don't even remember how they win this one, and I don't care. To me, it doesn't exist. I cannot count this as part of Marvel's. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I know it is. It does exist. It's part of the canon, but I, I can't count it. I think they all fight him, and then Sue stands up for him, and he goes back into the ocean, and then the movie is released, and they make money off of it, and they're back in business. Um, let's go on to the next issue. Sure. Uh, so the next so- issue is a Doctor Doom issue. Which he starts showing up all the time. Yeah, he shows up a lot in this little run. And I I don't find him that threatening of a villain. He seems more goofy than anything else. Yeah, it's, I, I think, you know, this will eventually become the main villain, the main nemesis of the FF. He is the Lex Luthor to their Superman. But um, he's not. He's just an idiot. He just is a grand talking guy whose plans never work really at all for very long. And he gets defeated incredibly soundly every time they face him in a way that makes me laugh. Um, uh, some odd things. Uh, uh, I mean, there's a lot of odd things in this issue. But there's like a page stretch where the FF just try to go get their fantastic car, but it's like locked behind a door or something. <laughs> You never see the fantastic car. You just see them like trying to get in. Uh, they accidentally go into the the hangar with the pogo plane, and then they finally get the door open. And they're like, "Yeah, we don't need it." <laughs> and they don't get it. So it's just like these were What's drawn by Kirby for? Lee. I think just was like, "I don't know what this is supposed to be." 
Um, also, Stanley and Jack Kirby are in this issue. Yes, that's even weirder than what I just described. Um, Doctor Doom see them. visits Kirby and Lee. Yeah, and so, um, yeah, Jack Kirby, or Doctor Doom goes to the Marvel offices to visit Stanley and Jack Kirby, where they're trying to come up with an idea for an FF issue, and um, Doom shows up. And shows them his face and makes them call the FF. Yes, that's right. And Lee and Kirby call the FF. I don't even remember what's going on here for some ploy. But at some point, Doom becomes Reed Richards or he creates a fake yes. Reed Richards. The the Reed Richards goes to visit the FF to help them with some plot. Uh, and then Doom gasses him and then teleports away a power he's never seemed to have again. Uh, and then there's this whole stretch about how he, cause last time we saw doom, he was like hurtling into space on a tiny meteor. Right. He, like he gets found by these giant headed aliens. They teach him how to like uh, transmute his face or something. They teach him how to do uh, like no, they disguise. Don't I think he knows how to do that from magic. It's all so random. So they just kind of quickly explain how he got back from space. He's able to. Oh no, pose. he does learn it from the aliens. The aliens live a long time because they move their brains into younger bodies. That's it. So he gains okay. that ability to like transmute his brain into someone else's body. So he, he switches and, brains and, with Reed. That's right. So Reed's brain is in Doom's body, and Doom's brain is in Reed's body, and Reed makes mincemeat. A Doom in Reed's body makes mincemeat of the Doom body. And the FF have no idea that their leader is really Dr. Doom. Yeah, the Fantastic Four show up and they're like beating up Doom. And he's like, no, I'm actually Reed. And they're like, well, we don't believe you. Yeah, because that's crazy. Uh, and then there's like a sequence of like tiny zoo animals that get out. <laughs> yeah, and when Doom is in Reed's body, Reed always has a super evil expression on his face, which is quite funny. It's like he definitely looks wrong. Um, yeah, he's constantly he looks so evil throughout this issue. And um, this is another one where I can't quite remember how it works out. Like he has he has a plan to like remove all their powers or something like that or to to I think shr- while he's, sh- he's going to shrink them, he's going to shrink them. Shrinking Ray is a big part of this issue. Yeah, there's a big thing with shrinking rays. So that's why there's all these tiny animals. Um, and I mean, it does because it, it also at the end of this issue, they stop uh, Doom by shrinking him into nothingness. <laughs> It's another so issue funny. where the defeat of Doom is so definitive. Somehow the somehow they trick Doom into switching back with Reed. The FF have figured out that the body switch happened and they trick him into switching back. And I don't know how they do that. Yeah, um it doesn't make sense. Basically based on the caption it says, under the staggering shock of learning that his incredible scheme has been exposed, Dr. Doom yeah. unthinkingly relaxes his mental control over the two bodies. Uh and in front of everyone, startled eyes, the awesome change takes place once more. So it's just they spook him. They spook him and he loses his concentration and so the change gets undone. And then they shrink him into nothingness. Yeah, I think that was an accident. I think they like zap a doom like uh, uh uh like doom zaps his shrinking ray while trying to fight the fantastic four doom does it to himself yes and then yeah, he, he like zaps them yeah he shrinks the himself watch into him nothing. shrink into nothingness yeah um there's a lot of like really like dastardly ends for villains you know the scrolls get turned into cows doom gets sent into the void of space to suffocate and die and then but then he survives and now he's shrunk into nothingness 
Yeah, and at this point, there's no microverse yet in the comics, so he's just shrunk into nothingness, and he's gone. He's gone. Um, there was a lot of sci-fi stuff in the 60s of just shrinking into, like, little tiny worlds, like Fantastic Voyage and the Incredible Shrinking Man. Like, yeah. That was, like, a thing that was, like, a sci-fi trope was, like, what if you could just shrink a lot? Um, that was in the popular imagination, I say. The next uh, issue issue? is, yeah, next issue is issue 11. It's about the impossible man, but it starts with a sequence of the FF reading letters that were sent. Like these are real letters. I think that were sent to the comic that the characters read. Yeah. Stan Lee and I guess Kirby too, were really diligent about um, paying attention to the fans and like making them part of the conversation or at least feel like they're part of the conversation. And this is one of the most uh, obvious examples of that. The characters are answering the letters. Yeah. Um, And one of the big questions they get is that Sue is not a good member of this team. She's the weakest member and she's no help. Yeah. It's crazy they're addressing that. And the Fantastic Four have a great answer for that, Will. Do you remember what that answer was? I don't. Moral support. Oh, boy. That's it. That's rough. Yeah. That's really the only uh, real answer they give. They also mention like, oh, but she remember that one time she pushed a button to open a door. But mainly what they talk about is how uh, she's there's moral support. Um, It's like the women, the women in great men's lives. Yeah. I'm going to read. Yeah. Lincoln's mother was the most important person in the world to him, but she didn't help him fight the Civil War. She didn't split rails for him. She didn't battle with his enemies. Um so uh, it's a kind of a lame example just to be like, she's here for moral support. Yeah. Soon they'll add powers to her, which really helps this. But for now, there's just the real answer is we don't write good female characters. <laughs> yeah. They just wrote her poorly. And I mean, they don't write her much better once the powers get good, but she becomes a better character through it. Um, but yeah. And we also meet Willie Lumpkin in this story. He's their mailman. Who becomes like a running character in the FF mythos. Yeah, he can wiggle his ears. Right, he wants to be a member of the FF because his power is wiggling his ears. Does that happen in this issue? Um, I think not yet. Has it not happened yet? Oh, no, it, it does happen yet. So By right the way, away. Mr. Richards, are you looking to hire any new members for your group? I haven't exactly got any superpowers, but I can wiggle my ears real good. Yeah. Um, so that's Willie Lumpkin, an important Stan part. Stanley plays Willie Lumpkin, right? In one of the FF movies. Yeah. in one of the, if the first, uh, uh, the first or second, no, the first, uh, FF movie, um, uh, with the first Jessica Alba one, I don't remember who else is in those terrible movies. Yeah. Uh, he shows up as Willie Lumpkin, which is a fine part for Stanley. It's a good, it's a good cameo. Uh, but then the um, second so- half of this issue is involving the impossible man who is an alien from the planet pop up. Yeah, and he there's a couple villains that show up in this stretch where their power is they are gods who can do whatever they want, but they're just sort of mischievous rather than I mean like the Impossible Man could take over the planet Earth, you know, I think easily. Yeah, they can't seem to hurt him. He can turn into anything uh, in a split second's thought. It's like some sort of um, evolutionary thing where to survive his dangerous planet, they've learned to evolve into anything to protect themselves. So he can just change. He can just transform into literally anything he can think of, um, and can he change other things too? No, I mean, like he can be just himself. He can be okay. Well, he can become like a plane that has an internal combustion engine that fires. That's right. He can become steel that withstands bullets. I mean, this is the villains are insanely powerful, but they just kind of have 
they just kind of want to cause a ruckus rather than do any real damage. The Apostle Man is like a mischievous kid, sort of. Yeah, and they only get rid of him because Reed convinces the entire world to just not pay him any attention. Yeah, it's it's like he's an annoying child, and so they they out-mature him by ignoring him, and he gets fed up and he leaves. Yep, that's how they deal with the Impossible Man. He's a very weird character, but he comes back a lot. Yeah, he does look kind of interesting. Like, Jack Kirby's visual design is always kind of rad, and the Impossible Man has kind of a weird, cool look. This is very—it's very like Mr. Mixelplick from yeah. Superman. Where it's just like, well, we can't beat him. We have to trick him into, like, leaving, and he's annoying or something. He's more annoying than dangerous in some ways. Though he could yeah. be dangerous if he really wanted to be. Um, you know, this is going to become the greatest comic book series of all time, but uh, it is, it's is—it's not true at this time. Now it's just kind of like a an insane, joyful lark is what's going yeah, on here. Yeah, it's, it'd be more accurate to be, like, the world's most different comic magazine. <laughs> Yeah, which, hey, that ain't nothing. Uh, let's go to issue 12. This is a decent one. This is where... Uh, yeah, this is pretty good. The Hulk shows up. This is the first time the Hulk and the FF meet. And the Hulk's comic at this point is, I think, done. So his six issues yeah. have run there. Uh, and I don't think his Tales to Astonish run has begun yet. So it was this thing where the Marvel only had a certain number of titles they were allowed to publish because they were part of a magazine company. And I, I don't know why this is. So I think the Hulk was a popular character, but they didn't have room for him. And so they were squeezing him into other titles and stuff, or I, I don't quite yeah, know. Yeah, basically, I think the Hulk uh, was canceled to be replaced by something else. Uh, maybe the Avengers eventually is what took the Hulk's spot. Right, which is why Hulk was part of the Avengers at first. Yeah, and so basically, while the Hulk didn't exist, he just shows up. He shows up in the FF. He'll eventually show up. Uh, he shows up a few times with the, with the FF. He also shows up... Um, in the Avengers and Spider-Man and uh, Iron Man fights him. He kind of like doesn't exist anywhere. He just sort of has like a little mini run throughout other people's comics. Um, but in this issue, the FF are recruited to fight the thing and also to test thing weapons or to test Hulk weapons by using the thing. Is it like a test to see if they'd work? Right. The um, weapons are really cool. Yeah, Jack Kirby always has insane-looking weapons, so it's like some missile fires that a bunch of cables shoot out and trap him in kind of a web. There's like a green fog thing or whatever. Um, and I guess footage, what's happening in this issue is the Hulk is like destroying missile bases or something, though it turns out not to be him. Yeah, he's being blamed for missile-based destruction. They think it's the Hulk, and it's we're going to find out that it's a supervillain. And the we see the FF... Regarding news footage of the Hulk, it's kind of interesting. This is the beginning of like the Marvel Universe where the characters are interacting. These are both Jack Kirby properties, the Hulk and FF, i.e. it's not Spider-Man or Iron Man. You know, these are things that are wholly out of the mind of Jack Kirby. So we're seeing FF who are like the Kennedys, the respected citizens of the superhero world. We're seeing them be educated on the Hulk, which is like a dangerous monster that everybody is scared of. Yeah, that's right. Even and, though I mean, our, if the Hulk existed, the, you would recruit the you, greatest superheroes in the world to fight him. Yeah. Our view as fans, we know the Hulk is good, basically. We see him as a misunderstood good guy, roughly. Um, but I know it's kind of fun. So uh, there's a new Fantastic Car in this issue. Yeah, they've redesigned it. It used to be like this bathtub looking thing. That I guess fans thought looked stupid, and Kirby took that to heart and designed something with like lots more wings and flaps and stuff. Yeah, it's like four separate little jet cars that can combine to be one big jet car, um, which looks great. Yeah, it does Kirby's look great. Really 
cool at machines. There's also a um, funny sequence in this story where uh, there's a caption that says later at a large missile base. And there's an asterisk next to the word later. And then there's another caption that goes exact flying time withheld at request by Reed Richards. <laughs> it's like the illusion like, that Reed Richards is talking to Stan and Jack is something that they are really trying to sell to us. Yeah. And I guess that's for security purposes so yeah. that we fans cannot triangulate where this missile base is. And also know how fast that uh, fantastic car is maybe. Yeah. Just, it would be, it would make them too vulnerable. Yeah. They can't give um, us that information. So, uh, what, what happens to so the, there's a supervillain called the wrecker. He's actually wrecking all the bases. Yeah. <laughs> the wrecker is wrecking everything. The wrecker likes to wreck. Um, uh-huh. And then Bruce Banner, of course, is around, uh, unbeknownst to everybody, except for Rick Jones. Yeah. He is the Hulk. And Banner and Reed sort of knew about each other. They admire each other. That's very cool. Yeah, they're both like top scientist minds. Um, in the movies, it's always Tony Stark and, and Bruce Banner who kind of respect each other's abilities. But in the comics, it was always Reed and Banner are the top two brains. Uh, yeah. Um, so Tony kind of came up later. Tony, yeah, Tony's brain kind of got retroactively made, and he was always a business whiz and a and a mechanical whiz. But um, yeah, I would. He was always sort of third to these guys. Uh, yeah. Now he's sort of treated like number one almost um, because of the yeah. movies. Though I still think yeah. in the comics, Reed is considered the smartest. Reed's number one. Um, okay, so at some point, the Wrecker reveals himself and captures Rick Jones. Rick Jones is the Hulk's buddy, and he knows the Hulk's secret. And, you know, if you if you kidnap Rick Jones, that means the Hulk's coming for you. Yeah, and then the Fantastic Four realize what's going on, and they sort of stop the Wrecker, and the, uh, the Hulk kind of runs off. There's a cool fight with the Hulk. Like, they know that the Hulk isn't bad, but he is out of control and dangerous. So they try to kind of, like, contain him. Yeah, it is a really cool fight. It's in a cave again. Uh, again, because uh, I'm referring to a Spider-Man issue that hasn't come out at this point. Uh, yeah, but later the Hulk, the Hulk will be in a cave with Spidey. But it's the same, that's the same one with um, Spidey in the, in the movie. Yeah, right. That is. The Hulk shows up in the movie uh, issue. That's right. Um, anyway, so this, this actually is a pretty good issue and the, and the, they sort of contain things and the wrecker gets found out and captured and the Hulk is exonerated. Yeah. It's also the, the thing is, uh, in the last episode, we're going to talk more about the thing probably next episode, but the thing is getting funnier. Yeah. He's becoming less angry and more like a buddy, which is, which, which is where he, he does, that's where he ends up personality. Yeah, and he spends most of this issue going, we got to get this Hulk. He's a bad guy. And at the very end, he sort of says, Everyone figured. Uh, uh, everyone figured. Nobody but the Hulk could do that much damage, except in me, of course. As if he <laughs> believed in the Hulk the whole time when he was probably the angriest. Yeah, and he just very silly. Uh, okay, next issue, we go right back into silliness. Oh, I wanted to say also in the wrecker, he's a he's a communist. Oh yeah, and the uh, commie is like one of the main shortcomings, sh- uh, shorthand to make somebody truly villainous. Yeah, because we're talking, this is 1963 at this point, so... uh, We hate the Reds. Yeah. Um, Okay, so the next issue is the ultimate commie-hating villain. It's the Red Ghost and his super apes. And his indescribable super apes. (laughs) I love it. So Uh, we have a commie dude who who... who, you know, sees that the FF got their powers from cosmic rays, gets a ship and puts himself into space with his apes. That's right. They so all taking become three super- people with him. He takes three apes. 
Yeah. And they all get superpowers. And the red so ghost these- can uh, become intangible. He can walk through walls. Yeah, he can sort of kitty pride himself through walls. Uh, one of his apes becomes super strong. Yeah, what happens? Does, does the other apes happen? Is one smarter? One, or something? one of the apes becomes a shape changer. Oh right, yeah, that's crazy. Um, and then what does the third ape do? Is he like uh, oh, he good becomes, at uh, he becomes Magneto. The other one can uh, has magnetic powers. So like it is crazy, and this issue I think is kind of bad, but. It's bad in such an insane, bonkers way that it's sort of fun. Like, you know, the red ghost looks nuts with his, like, big shocks of gray hair coming out of the side of his head. The apes, just having three apes with powers is kind of fun. Like, there's something fun about this. Yeah. There's also a lot of other ideas in this issue. Like, the red ghost and the super apes is just one of, like, four uh, story-worthy ideas. Yeah, they go to the moon and they go to the mysterious blue area of the moon where there is a city waiting. Like an abandoned city with a breathable atmosphere. There's also a a building there where the Watcher lives. They meet the the Watcher Watcher for the first time. Yeah, the Watcher is from a race. His name is Owatu, right? And he comes from a race of people who just observe and document the universe. Yeah, his job is just to watch Earth and let everyone know what happens. But because everyone invades his base, he sort of gets a little bit involved, which he swears he'll never do involved. again. He says he'll yeah, never he do always again. Is, he always says he'll never interfere, but all we see this guy do is interfere. He's got to be the worst watcher of all the watchers because <laughs> he meddles constantly. He's got to be in trouble all the time. Um, but, yeah, there's just crammed with ideas. You know, we got the red ghost and the super apes, the blue area of the moon with its oxygen, and otherworldly race of uh, super-powered observers – and this was um, before we had landed on the moon, right? So this is... Yeah, this is six years before we get to the so, moon. So this is sort of the story version is like the FF and the super apes are all trying to get to the moon first. Yeah, it's, it's this little space race subplot. Like, will commie red ghost get there or good guy Americans FF? And it's a bonkers uh, issue. There's no other way to describe that. It's bonkers. It's too much. It is like... Jack Kirby unleashed with no restraints, but it is fun. Like I, I, I don't mind it. It is not, it is not, you know, th- again, compared to the grand opera that this comic is about to become, it's, it's far lesser, but you can see here why the FF, what the FF, what Marvel had on DC, which is like their original and fun. But this comic could have been very simple, right? It could have just been, uh, these uh, super apes with cosmic powers are racing to the moon and we race there and then they fight each other. And then you yeah. add in the watcher, the blue area. There's all these weird de- uh, devices that are designed. Like I think Reed's ship is powered by the human torch for some reason. Uh, the red ghost invents some sort of freeze ray. It's, it's all these weird ideas. Yeah, there's lots of, of little gadgets and stuff. Yeah. I mean, and the super apes themselves, just the powers of like shape changing and metal and strength. If you're just trying to make a superhero battle, that's enough. And plus we have four powers in the FF. Yeah. But they add machines and other gadgets and stuff. Yeah. And it's a lot. Steve so, Ditko does the inks in this issue. Oh, yeah, that's right. He does. It's it's So it's, we have the the two big artists of Marvel Comics. Work, it's it's a great together. looking issue. It looks beautiful. Uh, I mean, you know, Steve Ditko is a is an an amazing uh illustrator and so is Kirby and Yeah. Uh, it's a waste to have Ditko do inks when he should be, you know, working on Spidey. But um, yeah, sure, we we benefit. Well, at this point, Spider Man was just bi monthly, so Ditko had time. Yeah, he had a month off. Uh, and, and Will and I often got in the limb, and we will say that that we think Steve Ditko was good at comics. 
Yeah, it's a pretty controversial opinion we have. And now we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hey, it's us again, your hosts, Kevin and Will Hines, and we want to hear from you. That's right. You can email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at screwitcomics. We also have an Instagram account where we post images from the comics that we talk about, and that's screwitcomics on Instagram. That's three different ways to connect with us. Tell us your thoughts about the issues we're talking about, or the format of the show, or our life choices that have led us to this point. Reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. And we're back. Uh, we still got a lot of comics to talk about. All right, let's keep going. So next one is Submariner and Puppet Master, two yeah. villains we've seen before, and they team up. Yeah, and this is sort of a weird issue because the Puppet Master is never seen by the FF. He's working with... I think he makes a puppet of Submariner to make Submariner do stuff for him. So even Submariner doesn't know that he's doing stuff for Puppet Master. Because the FF thinks Puppet Master's dead and nothing in this issue changes their mind about that. Yeah, so the Puppet Master manipulates Namor and we have an FF versus Namor fight. Uh, There's lots of different kinds of fish that Namor can like summon for fights. He's got a hypno fish. Uh, a mento fish that can transmit thoughts, a flame eater fish that can foil the human torch. It's kind of like a lot of superheroes have a way to have gadgets. It's like Batman has a utility belt, Hawkeye has trick arrows, and the Submariner has fish. <laughs> yeah, it's not really a thing he does a lot now or before this point. He doesn't, but there's a couple issues here in a row where he uses a lot of fish gadgets. Yeah. Like before this, Kirby he was just, just sort of a super strong bruiser. I don't know if he used them a lot in his old World War II comics days, but he certainly uses them under Kirby's pen. Um, so I don't know. This it's kind of a cool battle, but it also seems kind of crammed in there and maybe silly. How, how do the FF breathe in this issue? There's always a different way they um, breathe. Oh yeah, uh, I, I, is it a, it's not a pill this time, is it? Let's see. Um. They have flexogen packets that pr- that protect them from like fungus. They might not breathe. They might not go underwater in this one. They might just be in his base the whole time. They get transported to his base where there's air. Okay. Yeah. So I don't think they have to breathe underwater in this one. So the Sarid hasn't spent the time to invent a way to breathe underwater yet. He'll do that in a minute when he has to. Um. Yeah, there's a lot. It's also, get, they, this is, this they, is a stretch of comics, too, where there's lots of things that are drawn that that don't really fully make sense. They're just like big jumps in moments um, like, uh, you know, they'll be they're like trapped in a clam and then they just appear in the next panel. They're at his base. There's like no explanation of how that happened. They're not big deals, but it just leaves a lot for Stan to have to. Explain. Explain through dialogue. Kirby captions. just kind of wants to get to the fun part right away, which is part of his appeal. But he also sometimes he makes too big a leap and there's no way to explain it. And that's definitely true once he leaves Marvel and he does the new gods, which is the comic he did at DC, like which is brilliant in so many ways. But it's also such a jumble of ideas that it's like hard to follow sometimes because there's really zero percent restraint on Kirby at that point. Yeah. Um and it it's weird because it's not just Kirby, though, because like when this comic gets good, there's less of these big jumps. Like, And I think it just must be during that stretch. I don't know for sure, but it, I, I got to imagine Stan and Kirby just put more time into the FF at a certain 
stretch. Like they, they were like, this is the comic we want to waste more time on. And then we'll sort of, you know, brush over the Avengers stories or whatever else they're working on. Yeah. And you think right now they're kind of rushing it? I think it must be, this must be a little bit more Stan talks about it, Kirby draws it, and then Stan has to figure it out afterwards. Yeah, they don't go back and forth too much or something. Because they're also like inventing new characters and maybe they're putting more time into new stuff. I just don't know. It just feels yeah. like, like literally this giant clam captures the FF <laughs> sub in one panel. It snaps shut. And the next panel just says, just because, and then and shows them inside somewhere. Namor is pointing at them and goes, if you wonder how you got here. It's like, yeah, I do. The giant clam yeah. that's trapped you gives off chloroform vapors, which put the victim to sleep. And now you're awake and you are my prisoners. And that's Stan just trying to use dialogue to cover up the jump. Yeah, and it's a big jump. I mean, that's a pretty big jump for this comic. Like, we don't see them get gassed. We don't see I – mean, we don't need to see them get carried into the base, but it's just like – and now they're there. There's one thing that Spider-Man did better early, which was Spider-Man focused on the characters early and less on gadgets – and yeah. Kirby seems to be throwing a million like gadgets and sci-fi ideas to entertain us, but l- later when it gets good, it becomes more about characters. Definitely at this stretch, uh, Amazing Spider-Man Two has just come out, and so yeah, and I think throughout its run, uh, there was there weren't big miscommunications between Stan and Steve. There weren't, and I think that's because Steve didn't want there to be. Steve would sit down with Stan and talk everything over, especially in these early issues when they were still talking. Right. And Steve's also doing less. He only is doing Spider-Man. Kirby's doing Hulk, Thor, FF, X-Men, you know, eventually. Yeah. He's he's doing layouts for everything else. Um, okay. Let's go on to the next issue, The Mad Thinker and the Android. It's another one where, like, we got a lot of – we have too many ideas for an issue. So much going on in here. So we get the Mad Thinker, which is one of the many Marvel villains whose ability is that he just plans really well. Yeah. He's, like, so smart that he can anticipate everything. He's always, like, predicting things happening to the minute. To the second. He's just, like, smart dude. In ten seconds, the person will walk through the door that I predicted, and it'll be, like, right or whatever. Yeah, and I don't understand why that is a sign of a genius, but uh, he does it throughout his run. It's it's annoying almost. He's an insanely good planner. Um and then – so that's our villain, but then there's another villain, which is that he makes an android. Well, there's three things, right? The Mad Thinker takes over the mobs. Oh, right. He gets all the mob. That's a very Spider-Man thing to happen. He unites the mob families. Yeah. The Mad Thinker shows up in front of the mobs and goes, hey, I'm really good at timing. I should run the mobs. <laughs> and they go, and yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, and Reed has invented life. And the Mad Thinker steals that and uses that to create a giant android. <laughs> and what's the – there's a meteor involved in this or something? Right. I mean that's part of his timing, right? He knows about a meteor that's coming towards Earth and I guess he's – uh, that's part of his plan. To use this meteor. Yeah. I knew of the impending events weeks ago and included it in my plans. It will be our signal to strike. So when this meteor hits, that's like a signal for him and his mobsters to do stuff. Oh, it also like – Part of his plan was to distract the FF by making them all go do different things. Like he convinces Johnny to go join the circus. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he plants ideas in their heads to kind of separate them and get them busy doing other things. Sue, and Thing becomes, becomes a wrestler. Yeah, Sue becomes a Broadway star and then starts making movies. Um, 
which would give her, you know, that as a way to be powerful, become a famous person. She's this beautiful young superhero. Yeah, let's 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 get her in the biz, baby. Uh, but they're stopped because the thinker uh, gets stopped, I think, by Willie Lumpkin. Yeah, Willie Lumpkin defeats him at the end, and I forget how uh, – because this is the one thing he didn't anticipate. That's why Willie Lumpkin's able to defeat him. Yeah, Reed tells Willie Lumpkin to push a button for him or something, but the mad thinker just didn't consider that. And so his weakness is that he plans for everything but not everything. He plans for everything, but he can't – You know, if there's an X factor, it foils him. So Willie Lumpkin, by pushing a button after Reed tells him, defeats the mad thinker. Yep. So that doesn't really fully make sense to me, but I'm going to say it's not a good issue. Yeah. Uh, then we go into the Fantastic Four annual, which is really good. Yeah, it's really good. This is another Submariner one. Maybe the last pure villainous Submariner issue for a long stretch. He's just mad at humans and he wants to take over the human race. Yeah. He so and- this is a Namor versus FF battle and it's a great one. Yeah, it's, it's, oh, it's, man. This is Atlantis invades New York, basically. It's so good. Like it opens with just like. Uh, drawings of Atlantis, Namor in the Kingdom. <coughs> Kirby is so good at just like epic comics. They just feel so big. These are beautiful uh, drawings throughout. The art is really, really good at this point. Um, he He's just so confidently will introduce you to like a civilization, fill the panel with like architecture and a different species and all these people. He puts a lot of thought and detail into each person. Um, it's really fun. I it mean, is, he's so good at this. It is funny in the sense that Submariner's one of his running plot lines with these issues is that he can't find his people. Uh, yeah, he's like he, he's like a man without a kingdom. He's lost, and so he's found them again, and he immediately invades uh, New York. But then his people keep leaving him because he gets so obsessed with Sue, and they get annoyed, and they just leave him behind. They just move. They just like get out of there. It'd be like if uh, uh, I hated Bill De Blasio the mayor of New York and everyone in New York just moved out of New York. Like, and hey, we're tired of this. And we all just moved out. And he yeah, just turned around and was like, like where'd everyone go? Yeah. Like, How do you do that? I mean, like a lot of people hate Trump and I, half the country has not moved out of the country. Yeah. But for Namor, um, who has a crush on a superhero, that happens to him frequently. Happens at the end of the story. But this is an issue where Reed has to invent a way to breathe underwater, I believe. Um... Okay, good. Doesn't yeah, I like when Reed, Reed does that. So this is Atlantis. Oh, no, I'm wrong. This is just they, they fight above water the whole time. Because they fight in New York. Yeah. The Atlanteans come to New York. So it's like the Atlantean Namor and his fish and his and some of his guard attack New York City. And you know what? It's really fun. Yeah, there's some stupid things like where the torch uses his flames to create a flame sensor to listen for Namor to find him underwater. I don't know how that works. Yeah. But there's also some great pages where, like, Namor punches Reed so hard that he stretches off into the distance. <coughs> um, Namor has a love interest here, Dorma, and she's very jealous of his affection to Sue. Yes. Um, Krang is a guy who wants to be the ruler <coughs> of the Atlantean people, but Namor is sort of the chosen one who is better fit. So Kirby's pretty quickly creating a really cool... You could you could have a comic in the Atlantean world by the end of this. Yes, this sets up a great uh, world and and mythos for Namor, no question. Um, 
this, this is a real uh, foreshadowing of the great issues to come where Kirby is effortlessly creating an epic world that has real characters in it and it's beautiful and it's compelling and this is what he's about to do in the FF not about to but like some issues down the road he'll be doing in the FF like every issue but this is kind of a glimpse of it yeah though it ends with all those people abandoning him as I mentioned yeah it still is a weird ending they wrap it up quick New York hates Namor right they, they eventually they don't, they don't like him and he just kind of gets out of there yeah and when he goes back to Atlantis nobody's there well, Krang and Dorma were like, we're sick of you. Prior, you know, you're obsessed with the surface people. You're obsessed with Sue. You're not worried about run, doing your job here. I'm, a, I'm on their side. Yeah. But okay, it's, so it's, we, it's a great issue. It's really long. It's really worth reading. Um, we've told a lot of people if they're going to read along with us that they could skip this stretch. But this is one to go out maybe and read the first annual. Yeah, the first annual is worth it. All right, let's get back to the issues. Uh, this issue also ends with an expanded fight versus Spider-Man, a retelling of Amazing Spider-Man number one with just some more stuff. Oh, yeah, and they, and they redo it. Yeah, they just add in a little bit more. Yeah, they redraw. So this is Kirby redrawing a Ditko issue. Yes. So, like, Spider-Man number one done by Steve Ditko is Spidey trying to join the FF in a very hot-headed way and then getting into a fight. And it's kind of just to have those characters demonstrate their abilities together, right? And now Kirby just draws that issue and expands it. He does his version of it. Yeah. A lot of the same panels show up, and then there's just some in between them as well. Basically, the FF, I think, give a slightly better fight. But Kirby actually redraws a lot of the panels that Ditko did. Yeah, some of the same panels do 100% show up. It's fun. Yeah. You don't see that in the movies too much. Spielberg just does a Scorsese movie. <laughs> but adds one more scene in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, back to the issues. We have a two-parter. Dr. Doom is back. Yes. So Dr. Doom is back. He was sh- shrunk down last we knew to nothingness. <laughs> yeah. But he discovered a whole civilization there. Mm-hmm. Jack, Jack Kirby's really starting to do a thing here where, where like everywhere you turn around is a whole world like a civilization with its own culture and its own look and its own personality. And we, we, in these two issues, we meet the micro world. Yes, that's right. Um, and because it involves shrinking, the Ant-Man is recruited by the FF to help them out. Ant-Man being one of the first Marvel superheroes. Yep. So Ant-Man comes in, Sue thinks he's hunky. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Sue as a woman, uh, her job is to be attracted to men, and she is. She's attracted to Ant-Man. Yeah, good job, Sue. Um, uh, what else? I guess Doom is like periodically just shrinking the FF. Uh, so, yeah, Doom is Doom has taken over the microverse and has gained the gotten ability of a shrinking ray from within that world, and he's just like shrinking the FF now and then. Yes, and then letting them go back to normal. So yeah, and then the FF get Ant-Man to help them shrink down to go face Doom. We see the wasp real quick, but she's not involved. It's just the Ant-Man. He rides a couple of wasps over to the FF. Flying ants. My bad. Uh, They look like wasps. That'd be ridiculous. He's Ant-Man, not wasp man. Right. So he flies. He rides some flying ants over. uh, And then the FF all get shrunk. Yeah. um, Oh, no, no. uh, He... They have shrinking formula and enlarging formula. This is also that stretch of time where they're trying to make Sue seem helpful, and her way of being helpful is to take a gun out of a Doom's hand. Okay, yeah, right. Um, but so uh, we, then um, 
you know, they like they whatever they how do they doom runs off from them and gets grows back and so he leaves the microverse behind and then the Fantastic Four have to regrow and face him in our world for the next issue. Right. Doom's trapped them in the microverse. He gets back to the real world. So now he's in the real world with no FF. Yes. And so the FF follow him and go looking uh, for him. And there's like these weird floating things that like follow the FF around. And are those Doom things? Yeah. They don't right, make so any the, sense. They're just these weird floating like uh, marshmallow men is what they look like. Yeah. Doom makes these marshmallow men that float around the FF and... Like, I don't know, track distract their powers them or, or something? Study them? Somehow it's a Doom weapon, but it ends up with the FF facing off against Doom. And what do they do? Do they shrink him into nothingness this time, or how does he get defeated? Well, they have they turn uh, the thing into Ben Grimm, so that, like, because he's only ready for the thing, so Ben is not noticed by these... Uh, I don't know. Balloon these, men. Whatever these, you know, marshmallow men that have a study. They don't know Ben. It doesn't really make sense. Uh, but he, he's able to defeat them as Ben, but he couldn't do it as Yeah, thing. he infiltrates their base as Ben, and then that lets him open a door. He then turns back into the thing because it only lasts temporarily. Turns back into the thing to, like, rip a door open so the FF get in. And then, like, I don't know. They all fight. They all there's fight like a fight. It, there's a fight in an airship, and they throw him out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they just throw him out. To Falls to his death. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the first couple of Doom battles, they always end with just the most humiliating defeat for him, and it's so. I mean, they just throw him out of a plane. <laughs> but Doom seems so weird in this issue. He dresses up as a janitor for one sequence in this issue. Yeah, like he dresses up as this like janitor with a beard and a corn cob pipe. Like, is it, it's such a weird thing for Doom to be disguised. He's just not a good villain yet. I mean, he's just an idiot, like, who shows up. I mean, his costume is great, and his speeches are hilariously grandiose, but his plans are insane, and they never work, and he gets, like, murdered at the end of every... <laughs> yeah, every time he faces the them, adventure. he all but dies. <laughs> um... Let's keep going. We got the scrolls next. The, the next is the super scroll. So the scrolls were shape changers, and now they've sent a shape changer who also can uh, replicate the FF's powers. Yeah, I, mean, I remember he's in the '60s cartoon, the FF. Um, you know, the cartoon that happened in the late '60s. Um, the super scrolls in one of those, and I, I remember as a kid being like scared of this guy like I was just like oh he can do all the FF's powers how do you beat that I remember as a kid being very intrigued by the logic problems of how do you beat the villain's powers yeah that's who they were uh, marketing towards well they 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 wanted you reading these comics well they, they got me because I was like oh yeah how do you beat a guy who's got all four of their powers at once yeah and uh, I mean how do they beat him well I don't remember um, Sue somehow does it. Yeah, I think Sue just jumps on his back or something. Oh, no, she jumps on his back and uh, what are they? They have some device or something. There's, oh, there's a button or something. Let's see. Uh, oh, yeah. There's a miniature device and Sue has to put it on the scroll, but she's the only one who can do it. So they all like fight him to distract him. And then Invisible Sue walks up and like jumps on his back and puts his device on him so that he can't because he gets his powers like sent to him through outer space. So once the yeah, device so they is can, on him, he doesn't have the powers anymore. They need to get him to a place where there's no bars. 
If they get him where there's no yeah. cell service, they can defeat him. So they put basically a jammer on him. Yeah, and then they bury him in the earth for all time. Oh, yeah. This, That's right. They, they put him in like a volcano. They, they dig and a melt. hole in the earth and they bury him under rock. Yeah, they don't treat the scrolls well. They're really, yeah, they're... They're they're not they're not very humane to the scrolls. Um, so the next issue is a time travel issue. Well, yes, the Pharaoh. Yes, and he is. It's a weird combo. He's the Pharaoh, so he's sort of like ancient Egypt style villain, but he's actually from the far future, right? And he might be either a descendant of Doom or Doom aged, as as hinted at. He might be Doom from the future or, yeah, or a relative of Doom, but he uses Doom. He has used Doom's time travel device to get from the future to the ancient Egyptian past where he is like a ruler. Right. And the a reason pharaoh, and, the, and the FF figured this out because they learned that there might have been a cure for blindness in the ancient Egypt times. So they used Doom's original time machine to go back to find it, which is where they run into this guy, Ramatut. Um, yeah, they're looking to cure Alicia's blindness, right? Uh, what? Aren't they trying to cure yes, Alicia's the, blindness? Yes, I'm saying they, they, the they heard girlfriend. there's an ancient right, right, blindness right. cure in ancient Egypt, and so they, they take back. her with. Oh, yeah, they take her with them. I guess it makes sense if they're trying to cure her back then. But she ends up getting in the fight. Do they bring her with her? I know they brought her to Atlantis. She's, she's there. Um, she has a gun. Like Ben gets turned into Ben Grimm again, and then he's the thing, and he gets like dis. You know, he gets yes, like that's subdued. Right. She gets Alicia, sort of like. Like he's gonna marry her or something, Ramatut, right? Yeah, Ramatut falls in love with Alicia. That's fair. Um, and so yeah, he wants to marry her, and she, he's got her all garbed up as a pharaoh's wife. And the thing rescues her, and then she gets the thing's gun and just starts pointing it haphazardly around. Right, and the FF like uh, set up a, a a rebellion of sorts and invade Ramatut's kingdom. And then they get into a lot of Israeli versus Palestinian politics. And uh, oh no, no, they don't. <laughs> yeah, um, they take a weird stance that neither of them deserve the country. Um. And yeah. Oh, and then so they do find a cure, but they can't bring it through time. Oh, you know what? No, it was Sue. It was Alicia Sue. stayed behind a man's the time machine. That was Sue who Ramatut falls in love with and holds the gun. Okay, that makes more sense because she's pointing that gun pretty efficiently. Yeah. So uh, Sue and Alicia's face do look exactly alike. Yes. So when their hair is covered up, I can't tell the difference. Yes. So, um, but they they find the cure at some some radioactive isotope. But Doom's time machine transports everything except for radioactive isotopes, so they can't bring the so cure they, back to present time. Um, an interesting loophole that uh, keeps lets us not have lets us keep Alicia blind. Yeah, it also sort of treats Alicia's blindness very similar to like Ben's, you know, rock monsterness, and it feels uh, insulting. Yeah, yeah, there, it's there's some tone deafness for sure. I mean, it's 1963, so um, we still got a handful more. Well. Oh, let's do it. Molecule Man. Yes. Molecule issue Man 20. Is this a, is another villain who can do anything. Yes. He can change uh, the molecular structure of anything that's inorganic. Um, pretty powerful. Very similar to Impossible Man in terms of – and also a scroll and that it just sort of gives Kirby a chance to draw lots of crazy stuff. Yeah. I mean they only defeat this guy because he tries to use his power on something organic and it hurts him. 
Yeah, there's like weird feedback. He seems like he should be able to win. Like these powers are pretty good. Yeah. The Watcher shows up in this issue uh, as well to kind of interfere. <laughs> as always, the Watcher's super interfering in Earth business and helps get rid of the Molecule Man. Yeah, there's um, not much to this issue. Other than the Molecule Man is a, I would say, a very important character in the in this mythos, but he feels a little random uh, in this story. He shows up a lot, um, but he's dumb right now. Uh, let's go on to the next issue, the Hate Monger. The Hate Monger, and also Sergeant Fury shows up in this. So the Hate Monger is like, um, you know, Cur- th- this is a recurring theme of Kirby's, which is basically like Hitler-esque people who use hate to get whole nations to act badly. And it's very like ham-fisted metaphor for like Hitler or evil political leaders, basically. Well, I mean, hate monger is, is Hitler. Hate monger is not only a metaphor for Hitler, but is Hitler. <laughs> yeah, they take off his mask at one point and find out he is Hitler. Yeah, and that is, it's it's hokey and it's like forced, but... Kirby fought in World War II. He's a Jewish kid from the Lower East Side. There, there is something personal and passionate about it that I love. I mean, it's, it's kind of, I don't know, like, it's like a little too moralistic. It's like a bad Star Trek episode about race or something. Yeah. But it is also genuine. And I mean, that being said, hate monger's speech fits with a lot of nationalists uh, of today. And Trump's speech, they talk a lot about foreigners shouldn't be allowed in our country, and yep. that's what's got everyone riled up in this story. So it, it yeah, weirdly he, is also timeless in its and it feels like, oh, this is stupid. It's like, well, not that stupid, I guess. Exactly. Exactly. It, it does fit. Um, you can apply it to a lot of real world people and events. So it is it just somehow is it's inelegant, but it is also at its heart very sincere and true. But then the reveal that he's Hitler is so crazy that I laughed out loud. Yeah. This is also the first issue inked by George Bell, who's also known as George Russo. And the art takes a huge step down over this next stretch. Like Dick Ayers was inking it for a stretch up till here, and he was pretty good. Yeah. And from here on, uh, uh, there's some. This is pretty bad art for this next. Yeah, it stretch. looks it looks kind of soft and sort of. He makes it worse somehow. Joe Sinnott will get on boards, and that's when that's when the art really explodes with quality. Yeah, this will be followed. I think Vince Coletta, and then uh, oh, Chick Stone also has some inking to do. But for a little bit here, it's George Bell, and he is pretty bad. And I. You know, you, especially because we read these all in a burst, Will and I did. As I was reading these, I was like, I don't remember the art being so bad in these. But when you read like 10 of them in a row, it yeah. stands out, especially when it it's followed out. by better art and preceded by better art. Yeah. Uh, let's go on to issue 22, Return of the Mole, mole Men. Yes. Mole Man. But also Sue gets a power in this next issue. Yeah, finally. So this is a really important issue plot wise. Sue, uh, uh, all thanks to Reed. Um, finds out she can create force fields. Yes. Yeah, so now in addition to being able to turn invisible, she can create invisible shapes and forces. And now she becomes incredibly powerful. Yeah. She can also make other people turn invisible too, but it's complicated but, at first. And these, in these early issues, it's, they make a huge point about telling you if something else is invisible, she can't be invisible. If she makes a force field, she can't be invisible. She can only do yeah. one thing at a time. I don't know why they wanted to limit her so much. I mean, it is insanely powerful if she, if she can do all of it at once. So maybe Which she maybe, that, now. maybe that is a good instinct. I don't know. Um, it, it, why they were so worried about making Sue insanely powerful 
is beyond me when they already had the thing who can't be beat by anyone and the human torch yeah. who's super powerful and Reed who can yeah. invent anything. It's like, let her have it. Yeah, let her have it. There is some maybe there's quiet sexism going on here. I mean, they certainly have overt sexism in how bad a character they, they make her. Uh, the art um, in this but, issue is atrociously bad, Will. Yeah, it really looks like um it looks like a cartoonist's parody of the Fantastic Four. Yeah. It looks um, like Kirby did not draw this. It looks like a greeting card company, which is just sort of like the FF wish you a happy birthday or something like that. Um, it looks very 70s to the, me. The thing looks terrible throughout this issue. The faces look, are all... They look weak. It looks like a kid's comic. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Suna has these new powers, and they're put to use in this issue right away. Yeah, the mole man's here, and they beat him. Yeah, that's basically the extent of it. Uh, yeah. But it is... I, I, when I'm, when I'm Again, when we were reading these all together, I couldn't... I just kept waiting for these force fields to show up. I mean, we're 22 issues in, and Sue hasn't really been able to do anything. Yeah, and it won't be long before she's able to start doing things where she can start like hurling force field balls at people's head to knock them out. Yeah, I mean force fields in general are just a very useful skill for this offensively oriented team to have someone who can block stuff. She becomes part of the battles in a great way. Yeah. Um, let's go on to the next issue. Yeah. So this is another Doom issue. Another Doom issue. We open with a baby dinosaur running rampant through the Baxter building, which is fun. There's something really fun. The splash pages in these FF comics are great. There's, they're always in the middle of something. In the middle of something crazy. Yeah. Like Reed's got his arms all twisted up in a, a machine that's like turning oil into a into an ape or whatever. And like yeah. here we have a dinosaur's run loose and they use the time machine to send him back to his time. Yes. Somehow this dinosaur got loose. <laughs> um, I mean, in the middle of Manhattan, they've summoned a dinosaur. It's pretty crazy. And so this story involves Dr. Doom recruiting three normal criminals, I guess. Yeah. To help him fight the Fantastic Four. While the Fantastic Four fight over who should be leader of the Fantastic Four. And they all vote and everybody votes for themselves. Yeah. Um, um, they're, yeah, they're sick of Reed yelling at them and stuff like that. The villains are pretty crazy. We got, uh, we got, so Doom hires Bull Brogan, who's like a muscle guy, Handsome Harry, who's the con man, <laughs> and Yogi Decor, who's like a uh, fireproof man in the circus. It's very enforcers. We got three guys with like really specific abilities. Also, this is the first issue the thing says it's clobbering time. All right. So now we got two catchphrases. You got flame on and it's clobbering time. Yep. Uh, but this is a crazy issue. Like Doom's plan involves some sort of ray that lets that taps into solar waves to create portals into uh, maybe another dimension, maybe outer space. It's unclear to me. Yeah, it's portals. He can sort of jump into another dimension and then and then go back to Earth. And he can you can use that to transport places or just to shove people into these pocket dimensions and capture them. Yeah, so this issue ends with, like, Doom being caught in a window, <laughs> and then they pull him into the room, and he falls into a portal into space as he hurdles towards the planet going, help! <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ, he's just, just, I mean, like, they throw him into another dimension, so we've seen him... Sent into our space, shrunk into nothingness, thrown out of a plane, and now thrown into another dimension. Yeah. It's always Doom just floating away. <laughs> yeah, it's always very funny. I, mean, uh, I guess his real supervillain power is surviving. Yeah, he just you can't kill this guy. Um, I don't know. 
The art's pretty bad. I don't know. It's, these are bad. So the art is let's real go on bad. To the last issue of our of the run we're going to cover today is the Infant Terrible. Yeah, he's another um, magic genie character, and he also looks stupid. And this issue looks is drawn poorly. This is maybe one of my least favorite issues. This is a bad issue, and it's also redundant. We've you know he's another alien who's very powerful, but and the way to defeat him is not to deal with his powers, but to sort of like ignore him, kind of. Yeah, he gets recruited by the mob. Right, yeah, doesn't he has a, like a, a mobster recruit him to try to take advantage of him, like by tricking this alien into like stealing armored cars of cash? Yeah, he can't be defeated. He sort of has all these amazing powers. He can just seem he just seems to be able to manipulate everything as whatever whatever he wants. So the mob uses him to commit crimes, but he this he doesn't speak this alien creature, and he's a sucker for like sweets. He likes Sundays. Yeah. And, and ice cream. And they save the day by calling his parents. Yeah, Reed realizes that he's just a baby, and Reed communicates with his home planet, and his parents come and pick him up. I mean, it's like a joke. Yeah, it's a silly issue. It's like, oh, an alien invades that acts like a kid, and he is a kid. <laughs> yep. And that is the answer. And his parents, so it's kind of like the impossible man. It's like, oh, you just, tr- you know, you have to realize that he's a child, and you, tr- and once you realize that, you can defeat him. I have a strong memory of reading this in the Essentials, uh, the black and white collections that we read uh, when they first came out, Will, because yeah. there's a two-panel sequence where the Fantastic Car is flying around and it ends up inside a giant bottle. Oh, is that in this issue? Yeah, and it goes inside this giant bottle, and then like the next page, uh, the thing says out loud, I set the Fantastic Car on automatic return, now let's go out and, hey, it's sealed shut, just to explain why the Fantastic Car is not in this bottle with them. It's just like another yeah. one of these moments of like Stan having to explain something through dialogue or captions. And it really stuck out to me even when I wasn't looking for it as a kid. I was like, that was a crazy line of dialogue. I remember laughing at the panel before because one panel, they're in the fantastic car. And then the next one, they're flying into this giant bottle. And Regis goes, look out, we're flying into a floating milk bottle. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I, th- I think literally it's Stan Lee looking at the art like, well, I guess this is happening. I should just have somebody notice it. Yeah, so this stretch, I mean, it's pretty bad. It ends really bad. These last few issues, like that last Doom issue was really bad. The Mole Man yeah. Return, despite the force fields existing, was really bad. Hate Monger was yeah. pretty dumb. Molecule Man was kind of boring. The Pharaoh was sort of dull. Super Scroll was okay. But that's a bad stretch of comics, like six or seven issues in a row that I think are just bad. Yeah. Um. Um. Well, that, that's all we're covering for this. So let's ask, let's go into our, our final segment here. I want you to pick I do want to say one other thing before oh, we yeah. do that. And that is just that uh, as of issue, uh, at this point now, the Watcher is sharing a comic. So the Watcher has spun off into his own comic. So Human Torch has already done that. The Watcher is the second character to spin off into his own comic. But it, I, I just like to bring it up because... At this point, as we've said, like that Marvel Comics only had like six or seven comics they could be putting out at a time. Um, but once they open up, it's basically all their initial comics all come out of the Fantastic Four. There's so many ideas in this comic that even the Watcher is like, oh, he could be a good host of a anthology comic. Yeah. And each one and, and Fantastic and Human Torch and the Thing can spin off into their own comics, and all these Namor could be his own comic. It's just very interesting to me that even the Watcher was like good enough of an idea to be like, yeah, that could be a comic. Yeah, it's it's it is impressive how many cool ideas Kirby's thrown out here. Uh, but yes, uh, that's the end of this run. Uh, uh, 
That's 17 issues. That's a lot, guys. If you didn't read along with us on these, I totally understand. But I think yeah. uh, the next batch is pretty good. So issue 25 is a Hulk first thing one. So yeah, the issues weeks, get a lot we'll better. Talking soon. about that, and that's really really cool. Uh, all right, Kev. So what's your favorite issue? But I'm gonna to make it interesting. You're not allowed to pick the annual. Okay. It's such a, it's such an obvious standout. Yes. The annual is what's definitely f- the best issue in this stretch, and I don't think it should count either. It's um, too easy. I think my favorite one, and I know this is going to be crazy, is the Red Ghost. I was going to pick that too. It's, it, it is fun somehow, even though it's nuts. The Red Ghost himself is stupid, but the story works. The apes look cool. The Watcher's in it. The moon is cool. There's just a lot of yeah. fun stuff. I, it's really fun to read. I, that's my favorite issue of this run too. Yeah. If I had to pick a second one, and I don't know if I could... Uh, it might be the Hulk issue. Yeah, the Hulk one's pretty good. Um, I didn't, I didn't hate the Mad Thinker one, but I don't. Uh, I, I hated that. It was, a, it annoyed me. Um, but all the Doom ones are sort of bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, we're gonna talk about Doom in depth next week, and yeah. uh, it'll be interesting because I don't know. I'm amazed he works ever, and that he worked long enough to get cool. I agree. Um. But so, so yeah, we're agreed. Uh, it's the annual, and if you can't choose the annual, it's the the red, red skulls ghost and the, the super apes. apes. Red ghost, not red skull. So, sorry, yeah, red ghost and the indescribable super apes. Yeah. Um. All right, so that's that's uh that's this episode. So um um, well, if you want to contact us, you can send us email at screwitspidey at gmail. That's left over from our initial incarnation of this podcast, but that's the email address we still use, screwitspidey at gmail. We have a Twitter account, which is screwitcomics, and we have an Instagram account, which is screwitcomics. Yeah. And, um, and I've also yeah, started please. a Instagram account called Screw It Recent, where I just post comics that I'm currently reading that are more uh, recent comics. Not always. I sometimes read old comics. It's just whatever I'm reading regardless of whether we're covering it on this podcast. So if you really yeah. want to see what Kevin Hines is reading, screw it recent, but screw it comics is where I'll post all FF related images. Yeah. Um, and uh, cool. So um, let's uh, wrap it up and we'll see you guys next episode. Yeah. We'll see you next episode where we talk about this in depth commentary style. Commentary style, baby. Oh yeah. All right. <laughs> all right goodbye. Bye everyone. Screw it. Screw it. Screw it. Just comics. Campfire.